You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This week I want to talk to you about part two of a two-part message about uh, principles of God's provision. Uh, Gary mentioned a little bit about it this morning. We know that God is a God who provides. Amen? Uh, My hope is here that every single person that's sitting in this room has experienced to some degree in some way God providing for their needs. And if you haven't, my prayer is that at the end of this message and the end of the series, you will have approached life with a new perspective and understand that God will take care of you and he will show himself faithful. Because there's nothing quite like it when God does it for you. It's one thing to hear it from other people. It's an entirely different thing to experience it for yourself. So I want to encourage you in those things. I want to encourage you to take notes today. I want you to encourage you to really trust God for greater things. Before we begin, can we just pray? Just ask for God's help. We're also on Halloween weekend too, so let's pray for God's tremendous grace and protection to be upon us. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your word and your spirit. You have not left us defenseless in this wicked world that we live in. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord, protect us, watch over us, and help us to be your light and witness in the darkness. We pray that your word and your ministry will go forth, Lord, even on this weekend. And may your saints be uplifted and encouraged, Lord, and Lord, may we go forth victoriously. We pray Give us understanding concerning your word. Open our hearts and minds to receive it. And help me to be able to speak it clearly, I pray. In Jesus' name. Last week I shared with you about the feeding of the 5,000. How God uh, was faithful uh, to provide for that large crowd. And some principles that we could have learned from uh, as far as that story goes. And I encourage you, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, if you weren't here last week, to go back and listen to it. There's some really good points and principles from God's Word there. We all know that God is our provider, but what about who He provides for? Is there a connection? Why does God's provision seem to come to some but not others? Well, if we were to look at the Scriptures, I would believe to see that we will see the kind of people that God blesses. And so if you are taking notes today, I want to share with you four kinds of of people. Four kinds of people that God blesses and God provides for. There are four kinds of people, and usually they are people who have all four of these qualities. And so I, I want to encourage you in this to, to not only just take note of them, but also kind of do a self-evaluation in your own life, as well as seeing how faithful you are in these areas. So the first one is that God provides for those who are obedient. God provides for those who are obedient. The scriptures make it clear that there are blessings for obedience. Obedience is seldom easy. It usually requires us to do something hard. Obedience is rarely convenient. I'll say that again. Obedience is rarely convenient. Because it's much easier to do things our own way without anyone telling us what to do, it's easier for us to just make and follow our own rules. Isn't that true? Once you get to be an adult, you're like, I don't have any rules. 
I get to do what I want when I want to do it. And some people approach their faith in the same way. It's like, yeah, I know God's Word says that, but I, I don't believe that. Or that's not for me. Or I'm not following that. Obedience is about recognizing that we are submitting, even in our adulthood age, to submit to God as still our God, as our King, as our Savior, and our Lord. God makes it clear to His covenant people that if they follow His directions and His plans, they will be blessed. Deuteronomy 28, if you want to take a look there, verses 1 through 8, you'll often hear this verse quoted by people who love claiming the promises of this chapter. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with that, but I want you to take note of some things here as we read it. Especially the first two verses. Because a lot of times, people skip down to verse 3. And that's where they start. But the Lord says to the people through Moses, Now it shall come to pass if you diligently, what? Obey the voice of the Lord your God, and to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today. And the Lord God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I want you to notice that. They won't just come upon you. They will literally overtake you. Have you ever been overtaken by blessing? I don't know about you, that sounds like a pretty good thing. That if all of a sudden your week was just overtaken, overwhelmed, and overpowered by the blessing of God, that would be a wonderful thing. But it says it's only because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then it goes on to say the kinds of blessings in verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Now you might say to yourself, I don't have any cattle, and I don't have any flocks. Well, you have to understand that in the ancient world, that's how you measured a person's wealth, was what they had in terms of livestock and land. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. In other words, your ability to uh, provide and to make bread for yourself. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face, and they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on your storehouses and in all of which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now look at some of these promises. He's promising them their barns would be full, their flocks would increase, their livestock would increase. I don't know if you picked up on it too, but he says, even in childbirth, even in your own body, your descendants will be blessed. They will even go on to say, if you read on in uh, Deuteronomy 28, that they will be so blessed that they will, not, they will lend to other nations, but be a be debtor and a borrower to no one. I want you to think about that. That they will be so blessed by the Lord that they're not going to have to be the ones that borrow from others, but they'll be the ones that are lending to other nations. But only, and this is a big only, if they're obedient to the Lord's directions and the Lord's commands. A lot of people will try and claim the promises of Deuteronomy 28 without actually doing what the Word says. Remember, it's a covenant. Gary mentioned that a little earlier. It's a covenant between God and His people. If they do their part, God does His. If we do our part, God does his. If we take care of the things that are important to God, 
God will take care of the things that are important to us. I want you to notice that. I want you to write that down. If you take care of the things that are important to God, God will take care of the things that are important to you. So whether it be missions or feeding the poor or taking care of the orphan or caring for one another in the body of Christ, if you do those things, then God will take care of the things that are important to you. Conversely, Deuteronomy 28 goes on to say that if they disobey the Lord, they will be cursed, and none of those promises he mentioned would come to them. Instead, just the opposite would come to them instead. I want to encourage you to demonstrate obedience to Christ in every area of your life. That includes the area of your finances. Earlier, Gary read from Malachi 3. And he read from that, and he talked about the things that uh, would be blessed because of it. We see the idea in that, blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. I want to tell you today that partial obedience is not obedience. That's like if you were to tell your parents, like, I only did, well, I did half of what you said, but I didn't do all of it. Then in their mind, you didn't do all of it. If your boss gives you a task and you half complete it, you really didn't listen to what your boss said. So the boss isn't concerned that you did half the job or you only did a portion of your responsibilities. He wants to see you do, or she wants to see you do, all the things that you're responsible for. So in their mind, partial obedience isn't really full obedience. Why would we treat God any differently? That we only are obedient in the areas that are convenient for us. One triggers the other. Obedience triggers blessing. When they were obedient to what God told them to do, God gives them incredible promises of how he will bless them. He says he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't, return, can't even contain. And that he will hold back the devourer for your sake. That even your crops and your vineyards and the things that uh, are important to you will not fail to bear fruit for you. When it comes to faith and our finances, we must be obedient to what he commands us to do. We can only truly claim Jesus is Lord over our lives if we submit every area to him. What better way to submit to the Lord than to trust him with one of the most stressful areas of our life? One of the most important areas of our life. One of the parts of our lives where we, all of our decisions are shaped by our finances. All of our personal freedom as far as what we would like to do and what we would hope to do are shaped by our finances. Don't you think that we should trust God in this area too? Listen, hear me when I say this, okay? God doesn't need your money. I know that sounds weird coming from a church. God does not need your money. If he wants money for his church, he just gives it to the church. If he wants to do a gospel work, he'll just create it. But we partner with God's miracle when we choose to be obedient to the area of giving. And then by doing so, he shows us blessings and rewards us for our obedience. God doesn't want our money. He wants our heart because what is, what is all of our thoughts, worries, and concerns circle around? They w- circle around what we're going to do 
how much money we'll have for something. Will we be able to provide for our family? Will I be able to retire? How will I put food on my table? And if we just gave that over to the Lord, what we're doing is saying, God, I'm giving you one of the most important things in my life right now. Jesus cannot be a part-time Lord in our life. He can't be a sort of master to us. We must ask ourselves if Jesus is truly Lord over everything or are there things that we still want to have control over. When we compartmentalize our life by separating our money and our faith or our work and our faith, then we're not including God in everything that's important to us. David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, is a devout Christian. I don't know if you knew that or not. But he's also a Pentecostal. And just recently announced that he is giving his company away to God. And, uh, and you're like, well, how does, who's going to run it if you're going to give it over to God? Well, instead of selling it, the company when his time is done, or leaving it even to his children, he's decided to put the business in a trust where it will still operate and do charitable, kingdom-focused work throughout the world. If you were to ask David Green about whether or not his business is one thing and God is something else, he didn't see a separation between his work and his worship. To him, they are one in the same. He didn't see a difference, and neither should we. He didn't see a difference between faith and finances. They worked together for the kingdom. So the type of God, the type of people that God first blesses is the obedient. The second, God provides for the faithful. In Jesus' parable of the talents, in, in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 29, it tells the story of a master who had three servants. It's a parable about the readiness for the Lord's return. And he gave them talents or money according to their ability. I think there's a sermon that you could preach right there in it. God knows our ability. He knows our capability. So if we complain about what God has or has not given us, maybe we should do an inventory on our ability and our capability. So he had three servants. To the first, he gave five talents. To the second, he gave two talents. And to the third servant, he gave one talent. The first two servants doubled what they were given. The one with five returned with ten. The one with two returned with four. But the last one didn't do anything with his and buried it and returned it to his master with only the one talent he was given. And the master rewarded the first two with more as well as his blessing saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your master's happiness. But the last one, when he came back with only what he had and did nothing with it, the master was displeased and took away what was given to him. And this parable ends with the statement that the ones who are faithful with little, more will be given. The one who does nothing with what he's been given will be taken away from him. If we are faithful with the little that we have, we'll be entrusted with more. That's just good business sense. If you have a broker which you invest with and you give him a little bit of money and he loses all your money, you're probably not going to give him more money. Am I right? If you have an employee that's profitable, maybe you have a salesperson working for your workforce and they double your profits, 
what are you probably going to do? You're probably going to give them more accounts. But if you have a complete knucklehead that doesn't know what he's doing, and you give him something, and he just crashes it into a wall, or watches it crash and burn, he says, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so there, you're probably going to say, you know what? I don't think that this is a place for you. There's someone else that I'm sure that would appreciate your talents more. Right? You'd, so that's what we do in a very human sense. So why would we think any different about the way that God approaches things? If you're faithful with little, then more will be given to you. But if you're not faithful with the little you have, then what you have, even that will be taken away. The Lord rewards faithfulness. And this begins with the recognition that everything that we have comes from God. So we're to steward it well. He gave it to you, and he expects you to use it for his glory. If you have it, use it. This pertains to our work ethic as well. The wicked servant, the unfaithful servant, took what his master gave him and didn't do anything with it. What gift has God given you? What talent or gift has he given you that you're not putting work to work for him? There are people who don't do anything with their life and expect to be blessed. We see that in the world that we live in today, don't we? A world that's constantly, especially in this country, looking for a handout. Constantly looking for someone else to give them something for nothing. But blessing comes with faithfulness. Have you ever read the book of Proverbs? If you ever get a chance, read the book of Proverbs. And there are several passages that have to deal with laziness. And it often mentions that laziness is the path to ruin. If you want to be ruined quickly, don't do anything with your life. Proverbs 6, 6, verses 6 through 11. The New American Standard Bible says, Go to the ant, you lazy one. Observe its ways and be wise, which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares its food in the summer and gathers its provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, you lazy one? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and then your poverty will come on you like a drifter and your need like an armed man. Do you see that? Neglect complacency and laziness leads to ruin. Notice that it compares poverty to an armed man, someone that will rob you and hold you up and take what you have. Listen, as believers in Christ, we should never be afraid of hard work. Faithfulness is about hard work and consistency. It's about doing your work well and who we're doing it for. Working for the Lord because he's the one that will commend our efforts. Remember the scriptures say, uh, work with all your heart as unto the Lord and not men. So everything that we do should be done unto the Lord for his approval. I'm sometimes amazed at the quality of church work when we see in churches. That people will give God what's left of their week instead of the first fruits of their week. They will give God a half-hearted effort instead of giving their all to him. When Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's not a passive part-time kind of effort. That is all of us. And so when we serve the Lord, let's serve and work for him 
with all that we have instead of a half-hearted effort. The third kind of person that God provides for is the righteous. Those who fully live for the Lord. Righteousness means right living. If you were to define it, it's like, okay, well, how do I, how do I become righteous? Righteousness is quite simply right living. Now, we were made righteous upon salvation. When we were saved, Jesus washed our sins away, and we were given God's righteousness as a gift. But now, once we've been made righteous in Christ, it doesn't mean we go on living like we used to. It doesn't mean that we sin because, hey, I've received God's righteousness, so I should just live how I want to live. Instead, we've been given a responsibility to live for God counting ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. If you are honoring God, God will take care of you. If you honor God, he will take care of you and honor you. I want to just throw a couple promises your way that have to do with the righteous. I want, I want you to see the connection here because I don't want us to miss the blessing that God has for each and every one of you because we're simply overlooking something that's very important. It's who we're living for. Are we living for ourselves, or are we living for the Lord? Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12. I want you to look at this verse. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from him whose walk is upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Look at that. It says, no good thing will he withhold from him whose walk is upright. It's kind of like a father that is pleased with his son or daughter. He doesn't have to be uh, coerced or coached into giving good things to his children. He just willingly does it. But you as a parent wouldn't think, as a parent wouldn't think of rewarding your son or daughter for bad behavior, would you? Like if your kid throws a tantrum... In the uh, supermarket, you wouldn't think, good job, Billy. Good job, Johnny. I want to see you do that every time we go to the supermarket. But we understand as much that if we reinforce and reward bad behavior, we'll just see more of it. So we have to understand that as God's our Father, He wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us, but He's not going to bless bad behavior. Because He wants you to turn from it and to follow him. What about this one? Psalm 5, 11 and 12. You've heard me share this one before. But let all those who rejoice put their trust in you and let them shout for joy because you defend them. Let there also be those who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the who? The righteous. With favor you will surround them as a shield. So he will bless the righteous. He says, surely, most assuredly, you can count on it that he will bless the righteous and then he will cover your life. He will surround you like a shield that on every side you will receive the favor of the Lord and it will be before you, it will be behind you, it will be to your left and to your right. Wherever you go, God's favor will accompany you. It's not good luck. It's the blessing of the Lord. When you walk with him, people just see you differently. Either you'll be received with gladness or people will hate you because God's with you. You'll encounter one or the other. 
but God will provide for you and take care of you. And you're like, well, how is that happening for that person? It's happening for that person that walks with God because God blesses the righteous. Here's another one. Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. I was young, but now I am old. How many can say amen to that? I was young, but now I am old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. They are always generous, lending freely. Underline that. Oh, my goodness. Underline it. Highlight it in your app. I want you to get a hold of something here. This was written by King David when he was old and advanced in years. He recognized something about those who served the Lord, that those who served the Lord never went without. They never had to beg for others to take care of them because God would never let them starve or go hungry. David himself knew this because he was on the run from Saul in the wilderness, in the desert, in caves, and God always took care of him. So he knows what he's talking about. When you belong to the Lord, God takes care of you. God always takes care of our needs when we are faithful to him. And this is a promise that we can call on God to fulfill even when things are tight. I want to encourage you to pray this thing. There's been many times where I've seen this verse and I, I pray it. When things get tight, when things look like you're not going to be able to make it, when it looks like you can't make ends meet and you can't even tie the ends together. There's been many times where it looks like disaster is on its way. And I remind the Lord of what his servant wrote in the book of Psalms. It says, and so the prayer would go something like this. Lord, it says that your righteous will never be forsaken and their children won't be begging bread. So I know that you're not going to let me go through this hardship, but rather you're going to take care of me because I trust in you. How many times are you praying about your finances? Not like, oh God, what am I going to do? But how many times are you praying and say, God, I want to honor you with this. I want to honor you with the decisions I'm going to make with this. Lord, you've given me these resources, and so Lord, you've got to divide them, stretch them out, make them go further than they're supposed to, so I'm trusting you with this. And you can pray that as well. So understand that the Lord takes care of the righteous. Aren't you grateful for that? It also kind of gives us some perspective to something to shoot for, something to aim for. It's like, God, I want to walk with you because I know that you won't let me down if I walk with you. If I follow your ways, then you will be with me and take care of me. Finally, the fourth kind of person that God provides for, God provides for the generous. Did you notice that last part of verse 26 of Psalm 37? It says of the righteous, they are generous, lending freely. Here's an important realization. You can't lend something if you don't have anything. Like if someone says to me, hey, Dan, can I borrow your hammer or your saw or your power tools? And I'm like, sure, no problem. And I don't have those things. I can't really lend them, can I? You can't be generous unless you have something to give. So what is it saying? The righteous will not only be taken care of, they won't go hungry, 
but they will also have enough so that they can help others. So God will not only take care of your needs so that you don't starve and that you don't go hungry, but he says that the righteous, they have within them an attitude of generosity. They are willing to help others. And when they have it, they freely give it, and they don't uh, hold on to it for themselves. Now, some might say, well, pastor, I can't give because I don't have the resources. And you know what? You're right. You don't. So it's okay to know that. But I want you to understand something. God does. And if he is your source, he will not only take care of you, but he'll make it possible for you to be able to be a generous person that blesses others. But you won't see that outpouring until you start trusting him in this area. Generosity is a quality of godly people. The one who understands God's provision understands that freely I've received, so freely I will give. Whether it's I've received forgiveness and I need to forgive. Whether it's I've received blessing and I want to bless others. Whether it's I've received healing and I want to bring healing to others. Whatever God has freely bestowed upon you, whatever you carry and walk with, he's given that to you for a reason, not so that you can say how blessed I am. Not so that you can sit in a corner and, and, and say, hey, isn't it great what God's done? Aren't I really great? It's not for us to do that. It's for us to say, God's really great. And God, I'm so grateful that you took care of me. I'm so grateful that you've poured out your blessings on me. Now, God, show me how I can be a blessing to someone else. We don't often think that way. We're thinking very isolationist. One thing the last two and a half years have taught people is how to be incredibly selfish. I don't want to go out because I want to deal with people. I don't want to go into close spaces because I could be close to someone. You know, someone else needs to take care of me. The government needs to take care of me. I need a tax break. I need a tax hike for the wealthy. I need this. I need that. I need loan forgiveness. Whatever the case might be, people are looking for all these things for themselves. But no one's helping anybody else. There's no generosity. There's no kindness. There's no goodness there. But godly people are generous and we might say, well, if I don't give it, I won't have it. Listen, God's not going to let us go hungry. And he will still take care of us. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians after telling them about the generosity of the Macedonian church and encouraging them to emulate that generosity. He writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He says this, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace also. What grace is he talking about? The grace of giving. The Corinthian church had excelled and abounded in everything else, in faith, in their ability to speak, in their knowledge, in their teaching, in faithful service, in their love for the apostles. But one area they were lacking in was the grace of giving. And comparatively to the Macedonians, the Corinthians were a lot better off than the Macedonians were. Yet the Macedonians were very generous and freely gave, even though they had very little. The Corinthians, who were much better off because they were in a, a major trade port, they were a, a, a huge city in the ancient world, so they had blessings, they had resources. It was the Corinthians who had more, said, 
how about I teach some more? You got a Sunday school class for me to teach? How about I serve at the potluck? Maybe I could serve at the soup kitchen. Um, let's debate theology. How about we do that? But he says, I, you've excelled in all these things. You're, you're way up here in these things. But the one thing that you're really lacking is the one thing I want you to work on is the grace of giving. The average churchgoer is sometimes like the Corinthian churchgoer. They love to speak. They love to share. They love to teach. They love to serve. But when it comes to generosity, they struggle. They are fine with all the other things, but they don't want to give. When it comes to God's grace being displayed in your life, let it be displayed in every area. Not just the areas that you're proficient in. I don't know about you, I want God to work on the areas I'm deficient in, too. Like if I'm missing something that keeps me from being a complete person in Christ, I want him to work on that. Don't you? Hey, look, help me to be a more forgiving person. Help me to be a kinder person. Help me to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit more. And dare I say it, God, help me to be a more generous person. One final verse I want to share with you. You still with me? I'm actually early today, so you're in good shape. I promise not to take advantage of our time together. But take a look at Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 19. What if I were to tell you that Philippians 4.13 is not about running faster and jumping higher or scoring touchdowns, but it was actually about being able to have God's strength to get through financial difficulties. Would you believe that if I told you that? Because that's the context of Philippians 4. And it doesn't mean that God can't give us the strength to do a lot of different things. I'm sure he can. He'll give you the strength to do hard things. But really the context here is what Paul says in Philippians 4. Beginning in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now that your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care but lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There it is. Right? Right on the tail end of that. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but rather you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but that I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's another verse that we quote often, right? What is it on the tail end of? It's on the tail end of Paul's statement of gratitude for the generosity that the uh, Philippians had expressed to him. That they did it not only once, but twice. Not only for the gospel, but for his personal needs. Paul is actually in prison at this time. And so, if you were a prisoner, typically you weren't well taken care of. It's not like today where you get to watch TV and get three square meals a day. Back then, if you were a prisoner, if you didn't have anyone that was looking out for you and taking care of you, 
your clothes weren't changed, you didn't have fresh provisions or food. And so the, the Philippian church cared so much about Paul that they sent aid to him. But Paul says something very interesting here. He learned the secret of being content. With what? With the bare minimum of what he needed. Part of the reason why there are so many unhappy people in the United States, which is one of the most prosperous countries in the world, where even the poorest among us has more than a person in a third world country. Part of the reason why we are so uh, disappointed and unhappy is because we always want more. If you want a wake-up call, watch what's happening in Sri Lanka, where they're out of gas, inflation is high, and people are starving to death. It's a sobering thought. Part of the reason why people are unhappy here is because we're never happy with what we have and always feel like we need to have more. We always need to have something else. The sheer number of products and food we throw away is absolutely staggering. Like, I look at all the, the junk on the shelves for, like, the holidays, and I just say to myself, that's going to be thrown out in a week. Or that's going to go back into a warehouse and be brought back next year. But we literally just throw it away. And we just waste so much. What would happen if we scaled back our desires, scaled back our appetites, and lived more simply and humbly? Could it be that we might find more happiness if we just did more with less or learned to be content with what things that we have? Could that change things for us? Would we even find that we would have more available to be generous with? Paul even goes on to say he thanks them for their gift because it was like a sweet-smelling sacrifice given to God. Note the word sacrifice, that sometimes we have to give of something that means something to us. Their generosity had not only blessed him, but blessed God because of the work he was helping to do. And Paul had this confidence that just as they were generous towards him, God would be generous towards them. And he says he believed that God would supply all of their need according to his riches and glory. Understanding and trusting that God will take care of your need and supply your need is very helpful. If we change our mindset from what we want to what we need and trusting God for what we need, then we'll understand that God will always take care of our needs. Even he talks about, Jesus talks about prayer. He says, don't, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans do, making a big show of everything. He says, because your heavenly Father already knows what you need. So even in your moment of weakness, even in your moment of trial, even in your moment of, of, of desperation, like, God, I, I don't know if I can make ends meet. How am I going to do what you want me to do? I want you to know God already knows what you need. And he will take care of what you need. And dare I even say, I've been, I've been around just long enough to see that even the desires of my heart that I had when I was younger, things that I wanted that I put off because of serving God, that I've seen those blessings in my life. Things that I couldn't have or things that I couldn't obtain before. Just meager, simple stuff God had given to me in my latter years. So God will always take care of your needs. But Psalm 37, 4 
talks about delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight ourselves in who he is and what he does, it is his good pleasure to give us his delight and to show us his favor and his goodness. God will always be faithful to take care of you. He always promised to take care of your need and believe that he will. So today, as I wrap this up, are you trusting God with your needs? Are you bringing it to him in prayer? Like, are you just simply thinking that you have to be the answer for everything? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with being creative, but are you including God in the problem? Because when you include God in the problem, it's no longer just your problem. It's his problem, too. And the things that are too big for you, that God's called you to, he's not expecting you alone to put it all together. Can I just tell you that? is that if he's asked you to do something that's too big, he's not just asking for you to figure all that out yourself. He's saying, trust me, come to me, pray to me, ask me what to do, and I'll show you the way out of your financial distress, or I will show you the path to accomplish what I've given you to do. But you have to include him in it. They're not separate. They're together. Are you trusting God for your needs? Are you demonstrating it with your faith by putting it into action? I mentioned four types of people that God provides for. The obedient, the faithful, the righteous, and the generous. These are the kinds of people that God blesses and provides for, but they should be all one and the same. We should be obedient. We should be faithful. We should be righteous, and we should be generous. A Christian that is all four of these things should be seeing God provide for their needs. In fact, I guarantee that they will. I say this today to challenge you. Start taking God at his word. Start walking in faith in the area of your finances. And believe me when I say to you that you'll start to see God provide in some really incredible ways. I also want to say this too. Stop thinking of that the answer is only one answer. Stop thinking that we have in our minds like, well, he's going to answer with this this way. And as long as you fixate and focus on that, you are going to be massively disappointed all the time. But start thinking about the ways that God might be providing, the way that God might be instructing you right here, right now. Because if you're focused on like, the, the big need that seems like it's never coming through the answer that you're looking for, you're going to miss the small ways that he comes through. You're going to miss the small blessings that he sends your way. And if you just recognize them and acknowledge them, you would see that God would bless it. Sometimes you'll go through a period of leanness. Sometimes you'll go through a desert of a lack of provision. But on the other end of it, when God blesses you, it's backlogged so that everything that you lost, you regain. Remember the scriptures say that the, I will restore to you the years that the moth and the canker worm took away. I can tell you as I've walked with God for these 24 years of ministry, there's times I've experienced loss. There's times where I've experienced the reset button hit on my life financially and my family. 
There's times where you go through, whether it's a layoff or unemployment or times that you've gone through a tragedy or you've lost things that are important to you and you're kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? There are times you go through that period of lack. But I've also seen God restore, backlogging everything that I had lost up until that point. So you might be going through it right now and saying, okay, well, I'm going through this at this moment. But can you understand that God will take care of you on the back end of it, too? Do you have the patience and perseverance to trust Him? I've seen God take care of me, my family. I've seen God take care of this church in really unbelievable ways that, like, we have no, we don't deserve His blessing. But He's shown Himself to be great and faithful. And I say this to challenge you. Uh, Next week is Missions Convention. We'll be hearing from missionaries and their heart to reach the lost. When we partner with them, we're partnering with God's heart for the world to be saved. There is no greater mission in the world than that. Can I ask you to start praying now about what God would have you to do for the cause of the Great Commission? Not transferring my tithes to my offering and saying, well, that's missions. But saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do for this? What do you want me to do for the cause of Christ across the world? How might he move your heart? Don't think of it from the perspective of what can I afford? Instead, God, what do you want me to do? Sometimes when we ask that, he might surprise us. He might even frighten us a little as far as what he wants us to do. But if he's asking you to do it, it's because he already has in mind how he's going to make that happen in your situation. My prayer for you is that you be stirred to faith and be joyfully and willingly ready to give for the cause of the cause of the cross. And let's see what God will do. I know God will take care of you because I've seen God take care of me and my family and this church. I'd love to sit down with you and just tell you stories of like how God just would come through and there's no other way that it could happen except God was in it. And I want to see that happen in your situation. I want you to know and say, He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And He'll take care of you. Do you believe that today? Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you hear us today. And today, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I today I just want you to know that God is going to take care of you. You may have been going through situations in your life where you've always had to fight and scratch and work for every little bit that you've had. And you think that following God is the same way because the people that were supposed to provide for you didn't. I want you to know today that the Lord is not But when we serve him, we are not only responsible to him, but he treats us as a responsibility, a priority as well. He will take care of you. So what do you need him to take care of today? What is the thing that seems too big for you right now? And I just want you to whisper that before the Lord today in prayer. It's too big for you, but it's not too big for him. What area is he challenging you in? to give over to him so that you would believe him for greater and that you'd believe him 
that he would take care of you. Know that he is a man of his word. God is not a man that he should lie. He has no reason to be deceptive. But instead, he is a person of his word. He says that heaven and earth will pass away before even one cross T or one dotted I will pass away. So he reveres and he honors his word. I want you to understand that today, that when you go to him today and when we pray to him, know that you can remind him of what he said and that he will honor his promises. So let's pray. God, we just thank you. Lord, I pray for every person in this place, whether their need is great or small. Help them to know that you will take care of them. Lord, help them to understand, Lord God, that if we are faithful to your precepts, if we're faithful to do what you've asked us to do, as hard as it may be to do, that you will help them, you will provide for them, you will make it possible. May faith be increased today, Lord. May hearts be inclined towards you. May we trust you greater than we did the day before. Lord, that you would allow faith to arise in our hearts. I pray that, Lord, we wouldn't separate our faith from our finances or our worship from our work, but, Lord, that we would see the two as one and do it fully and completely for your honor and your glory. Bless those that are pursuing after you. Bless those that have a need that's too great. Show yourself faithful to them as they've been faithful to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.